0: Chapter 5 of The Last Stroke. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Philippe in Paris, France. The Last Stroke by Lawrence L. Lynch. Chapter 5 In Consultation when the doctor had completed his hasty sketch he returned the card upon which it was made to the detective and silently awaited his comment it is very helpful said ferrars it would seem then that just opposite the mound the lake makes an inward curve yes and that the centre of the mound corresponds to the central or nearest point of the curve the doctor nodded assent Now. Am I right in thinking that anything occurring at this central point would be unseen from the road? Quite right. The mound rises higher than the road, and its length shuts off the view at either end. That, and the line of the road, which curves away from the lake at the north end, and runs in an almost straight direction for some distance at the other. I see. And again for a moment, Ferrars consulted the sketch. Then... Did you measure the distance between the target and the spot where the body was found? No, it was the usual distance for practice, I should think. It was rather a long-range, interposed Briarly. I am something of a shot myself, and I noticed that. Again the detective pondered over the sketch. By this time, I dare say, he said presently, there will be any number of curious people in the wood and about that spot. I doubt it, replied Dr. Barnes. I thought of that and spoke to Doran. Mr. Brierly was so well liked by all that it only needed a word to keep the men and boys from doing anything that might hinder a thorough investigation. Two men are upon the road, just below the schoolhouse, to turn back the thoughtless curious ones. It was Doran's foresight, added the honest physician. I suppose you all wish to explore the wood near the mound? Ferrars laid aside the sketch. As the coroner, he said, you can help me of course you can have no doubt as to the nature of the shooting there could be no mistake none the shot at the back could not have been self-inflicted then if you can rely upon your constables and this man doran let them make a quiet inquiry up and down the wood road in search of anyone who may have driven over it between the hours of eight and ten o'clock said hilda grant he meaning her late friend left his boarding-place at eight o'clock or near it and he was found shortly before ten her speech was low and hesitating but did not falter thank you said the detective and turned again to the doctor next he said if you can find a trusty man who will find out for us if any boat or boats have been seen about the lake shore during those hours it will be another step in the right direction and now you have told me that you suspect no one that there is no clue whatever He glanced from one to the other. Still, we are told that very often by those who should know best, but who are not trained to such searching. To begin, I must know something, Mr. Brierley, about your brother and his past. Is he your only brother? Yes. We lost a sister ten years ago, a mere child. There were no other children. And your parents? Are both dead. Ah, Mr. Brierley. Give me, if you please, a sketch of your life and of your brothers, dating, let us say, from the time of your father's death. If the request was unexpected or unwelcome to Robert Brierly, he made no sign, but began at once. If I do not go into details sufficiently, Mr. Ferrars, he said by way of preamble, you would of course interrogate me. The detective nodded, and Brierly went on my father was an episcopalian clergyman and at the time of his death we were living in one of the wealthy suburbs of chicago where he had held charge for ten years and where we remained for six years after he gave up the pulpit being in comfortable circumstances we found it a most pleasant place of residence my sister's death brought us our first sorrow and it was soon followed by the loss of our mother we continued to live however in the old home until my brother and i were ready to go to college and then my father shut up the house and went abroad with a party of congenial friends my father was not a business man and the man to whom he had confided the management of his affairs misarranged them during his absence to what extent we never fully knew until after my father's death when we found ourselves after all was settled with something like fifteen thousand dollars each and our educations My brother had already begun to prepare for the ministry, and I had decided early to follow the career of a journalist. Are you the elder? asked the detective. Yes. Riley paused for further comment, but none came, and he resumed. It had been the intention of my father that my brother and I should make the tour of the two continents when our studies were at an end—that is, our school days. He had made this same journey in his youth he had even mapped out routes for us, and told us of certain strange and little explored places which we must not miss, such as the rock temples of Kailas in central India, and various wonders of Egypt. It was a favourite project of his. It will leave you less money, boys, he used to say, but it will give you what can never be taken from you. When a man knows his own world, he is better fitted for the next and so after much discussion we determined to make the journey indeed to charlie it began to seem a pilgrimage in which love duty and pleasure intermingled he paused and hilda turned away her face as a long sighing breath escaped her lips shortly after our return i took up journalistic work in serious earnest and my brother having been ordained was about to accept a charge when he met with an accident which was followed by a long illness when he arose from this his physicians would not hear of his assuming the labours of a pastor over a large and active suburban church and as my brother could not bear to be altogether idle and the country was thought to be the place for him it ended in his coming here to take charge of the little school he was inordinately fond of children and a born instructor so it seemed to me he was pleased with the beauty of the place and the quiet of it from the first and he was not long in finding his greatest happiness here his voice sank and he turned a face in which gratitude and sorrow blended upon the girl who suddenly covered her own with her trembling hands but the detective with a new look of intenseness upon his face and without a moment's pause asked quickly then you have been in this place before of course no i have not for the first three months Charlie was very willing to come to me in the city. Then came a very busy time for me, and he came twice, somewhat reluctantly, I thought. Six months ago, I was sent to New Mexico to do some special work, and returned to the city on Tuesday last. His voice broke, and he got up and walked to the window farthest from the group. While he had been speaking, Ferraz had scribbled aimlessly, a stroke at a time, as it seemed, upon the margin of the printed side of the card which bore the sketch made by dr barnes and now while Hilda's face was again turned away the young man at the window still stood with his back towards all in the room he pushed the card from the edge of the table and shot a significant glance toward the doctor picking up the card dr barnes glanced at it carelessly and then replaced it upon the table having read these words i wish to speak with her alone Make it a professional necessity. As Briley turned to them once more, the detective turned to the young girl. I would like to hear something from you, Miss Grant, if you find yourself equal to it. Hilda set her lips in firm lines, and after a moment said steadily, I'm quite at your service. One minute, the doctor arose and addressed himself to the detective. I feel sure that it will be best for Miss Grant that she talk to you alone as her physician i will caution her against putting too great a restraint upon herself upon her feelings while you talk with her Ferrars, mr brierly and i will go back to my quarters unless you bid us come back i do not interpose the detective i will join you soon and if need be you can then return doctor at first it seemed as if hilda were about to remonstrate but she caught the look of intelligence that flashed from his eyes to hers and sat in silence while dr barnes explained the route to his cottage and murmured a low good-bye while Bryley took her hand and bent over her with a kind adieu i may see you to-morrow he whispered you will let me come sister the last words breathed close to her ear her lips moved soundlessly but he read the eager consent in her timid return of his hand-clasp and the look in her sad gray eyes and followed the doctor from the room when Frank Ferrars had closed the door behind the two men, he wasted no time in useless words, but, seating himself opposite the girl, and so close that he could catch, if need be, her faintest whisper, he began, his own tones low and touched with sympathy. Miss Grant, he said, I already feel assured that you know how many things must be considered before we can even begin such a search as I foresee before me. Of course, It may happen that before the end of the coroner's inquest, some clue or key to the situation may have developed, but if I have heard all, or rather if there has not been some important fact or feature overlooked, we must go behind the scenes for our data, our hints, and possible clues. Do you comprehend me? Hildegrant had drawn herself erect and was listening intently, with her clear eyes fixed upon his face and she seemed with her whole soul to be studying this man, while, with her ears, she took in and comprehended his every word. You mean, she answered slowly, that there may be something in himself, or some event or fact in his past, or that of his family, which has brought about this? She turned away her face. She could not put this awful fact into words. I knew you would understand me and it is not to his past alone that I must look for help, but to others. Do you mean mine? Yes, you do understand. There was a look of relief in his eyes. His lips took on a gentler curve. I see that you're going to help me. If it is in my power, I surely am. Where shall we begin? Tell me all that you can about Charles Brierly. all that he has told you about himself. Would it be too hard? No matter. She drew herself more erect. I think if you will let me tell my own story briefly, and then fill it out at need by interrogation, it will be easiest for me, and best for me. Thank you. He leaned back and rested his hands upon the arms of his chair. I'm ready to hear you, he said, and withdrew his full gaze from her face, letting his eyelids fall, and sitting thus with half closed eyes. Of course, she began, it was only natural or so it appeared to me that we should become friends soon meeting as we must daily and being so constantly brought together as upper and under teachers in this little village school he never seemed really strange to me and we seemed thrown upon each other for society for the young people of the village held aloof because of our newness and our position i suppose and the people of the hotels and boarding houses found naturally A set, or sets, by themselves. I grew up in what you might call a religious atmosphere, and when I knew that he was a minister of the gospel, I felt at once full confidence in him, and met his friendly advances quite frankly. I think we understood each other very soon. You perhaps have not been told that he filled a vacancy, taking the place of a young man who was called away because of his mother's illness, and who did not return giving up school at her request. It was in April, a year ago, that he, Charlie, took up the work, coming back as I did, after the summer vacation. It was after that, that he began telling me about himself a little, to speak often of his brother, who was, to his eyes, a model of young manhood and greatly his intellectual superior. She paused a moment, and then, with a little proud lifting of her rounded chin, resumed i was not quite willing to agree to his superiority for charles bryany was as bright as talented and promising a young man as good and as modest as any i have ever known or hoped to know and i have met some who ranked high as pastors and orators i can well believe you he said with his eyes upon her face and his voice was sincere and full of sympathy we were not engaged until quite recently although we both, I think, understood ourselves and each other long before. And now what more can I say? He has told me much of his school days, of his student life, and, of course, of his brothers also. In fact, without meaning it, he has taught me to stand somewhat in awe of his highly fastidious, faultless, and much-beloved brother. But I have heard of no family quarrel, no enemy, no unpleasant episode of any sort for himself he told me and i believe his lightest words that he never cared for any other woman had never been much in woman's society in fact owing to his almost constant study and travel here in the village all was his friends his pupils were his adorers young and old alike were his admirers and he had room in his heart for all no hand in glenville was ever raised against him i am sure You think, then, that it was perhaps an accident, a mistake? He was eyeing her keenly beneath his drooping lashes. No! She sprang suddenly to her feet and stood erect before him. No, Mr. Ferrars, I do not. I cannot. I was never in my life superstitious. I do not believe it is superstition that compels me to feel that Charles Briley was murdered of intent, and by an enemy, an enemy who has stalked him unawares. For money, perhaps? and who has planned cunningly, and hid his traces well. End of chapter 5